Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is Catholic Twitter icon Zach Mabry. Zach, what does a Catholic Twitter icon do with his time? Well, mostly uh, tend to duties of state, and yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a largely at this time it's largely ceremony. It's a ceremonial position. Fair enough. Um, it used to it used to carry major clout. Oh yes, yeah, and I mean it's still still retain is still sovereign. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but for the most part, all of the duties have been delegated uh, to to the legislative body at this at this phase in history. Can you get away with any crime you want in any country? Does it come with that perk? Well, it, it's not a crime if if I do it. So oh, yeah. Um, so that's part of being sovereign. So, you know, that's that's important to remember uh the distinction there and it's I understand you you wouldn't know, but you know, no, yeah, that's I'm a I'm a norm, a normie, a plebe. But yeah, no, this was actually so that you're quoting the the chimney podcast. Yes, that is done each day by Tommy Ty, the author of the Catholic Hipster Handbook. Right. And yeah, so this was my my second time to make it. There's some people that it's like every day they're on it, but this yeah. So one of my tweets got um, pulled into the chimney today, so that was kind of fun. And uh, yep. Well, speaking cool of. Speaking of tweets, you can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey It's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z A C Mabry. Email us podcast at RomanCircusBlog.com. Find us on iTunes where you can rate and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and basically any podcast app you can download. So we have a. Another show, a, a very saintly. I, I hope that at some point this episode might be canonized into the Catholic podcast canonization logs. I don't know what I don't know what to say. Well, it'll it'll have to perform a few miracles, so we'll have to see. You know, if that comes to pass, right? But uh, yeah, so we had our our episode. I think what episode two we talked about sort of the Catholic day and mm-hmm. making prayer part of your day and uh we talked about morning and evening and then during the day the big three that we mentioned were uh rosary spiritual reading meditation right and for that middle one spiritual reading we said you know the best books the author's name starts with st period mm-hmm. and then of course last week when we talked about the church's year the liturgical year we mentioned several different feast days and that the, the year is populated with saints feast days sure but we never mentioned before how somebody becomes a saint so i think that's how we landed on this topic for this week right so it's it's a pretty solid process that growing up in the church i didn't learn a ton about i knew that oh they had to be canonized and this and that but i never quite knew the actual process some i still didn't fully understand until i actually researched the process so i thought it would be fun to spit it all out into a microphone so other people can hear about it i like it i like it okay shall we just shall we just uh go right into it or did you did you want to talk about uh 
life and the going ons of current events. Yeah, how's Bitcoin doing? Oh, uh, my financial. Or sorry, let me get this right. He is my spiritual slash financial advisor. Texted me today that the cryptocurrencies are being too boring right now. So everything's real boring in the cryptocurrency markets. Wait, this person is your spiritual and fine. What is this? Well, he's my spiritual director, but we also tend to talk about cryptocurrency a lot. So I call him my spiritual slash financial director. Oh, that's pretty cool. So like father blockchain. <laughs> yeah, that's how did you know that was his name? That can be his that can be his spy name so that we don't reveal your spiritual director's identity. Right. So well that's good. If Father Bitcoin's listening, hopefully <laughs> wait, did I say I said Bitcoin both times, right? No, you said blockchain first time. Oh wow. Okay, stick with that. Father blockchain. <laughs> okay. He does listen, so uh but anyway, let's let's get on with it. So broadly speaking, being a saint means that uh, that you're in heaven. So everybody who who has gone to heaven is a saint. Even someone, you know, even in, in the the tragic situation where where a child you know dies sometime after their baptism, um, they're a saint. They're in heaven, you know, for all eternity. Mm-hmm. And but some of them have been canonized, and we uh, follow them, for example, and we give public veneration to them um, because they're in heaven. And so becoming a saint is a process of a canonized saint is that's a mm-hmm. process of the church giving its official uh, stamp of approval. So when someone does become officially a saint of the universal church, uh, that piece is infallible, but there's a, a discernment process involved that can has multiple steps. They get different title changes and it involves their local diocese, the right. Vatican, uh, you know all this, and uh, so you've put together a uh, uh, a body of research to step us through, and uh, I'm excited to listen because parts of this are unknown to me, so I'll be reacting as you go. But let's uh, take it away with how to become a saint. First of all, before I do that, a canonization is just that; it's entering into the canon, which means it can't be changed. So that's why that's why it's canonization because it's just kind of setting into stone what what is done is that okay is that that fair to say yes you know last week what did i say i said you can't uh, build a cannon and shoot yourself into heaven but if you (laughs) are in heaven you can be canonized wow it all comes back okay full circle so for someone to be a saint my understanding of the process is first they become a statue and then if a, if a sufficient number of people gather around said statue um, and put put enough coins in the the box next to the statue, and then most of them, if they bring a sufficient number of candles to light around yes. the statue, then, then that person becomes a saint. I, I'm assuming that in your research you were able to confirm Actually, my that, findings. Actually, that's the only process. This has been the quickest episode we've had yet. Shall we do Saint yeah. of the Week? Yeah, yeah, same of the week, see you guys. Okay, yeah, so that's exactly correct, except none of it is correct. Okay. Okay? Here's how you become a saint, Zach. Step one is you need to die. That's oh. That's the very first step. Okay. Okay. 
And so everybody. Every that, well, okay. Yeah. So I already have a question for you. So would you know, what about people who believe that uh, the Virgin Mary did not die before being assumed? See, it, it, the actual dogmatic definition leaves that part open. Okay. So it 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 just describes at the end of her earthly life. Okay. So, okay, maybe that's it. Step one. Step one, you have to what? End your earthly life? Okay, so your <laughs> earthly life comes to an end. That's good, because then you've got, like, St. Michael. You know, he, was, he didn't... Okay, your earthly life ends. I okay. can support. Your earthly life ends, okay? Step two is there is a five-year waiting period. Okay, but there are there have been two recent exceptions, and that is Pope St. John Paul II and St. Teresa of Calcutta, St. Mother Teresa. Okay, so those... Uh, I'm going to have to correct you. It really would just be St. Teresa of Calcutta, but... I was, um, I, was, I, know, I was being specific for someone who might not know who Teresa of Calcutta is. That's very kind of you. That's Thank good. you. It's I, also, I, in case you were to say St. Padre Pio, that would also be wrong. So yeah. I had I got corrected on this pretty abruptly once, so I just want to warn everybody while I can, never say that. Cool. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, have, we have five listeners, Zach, and I have to make sure I explain everything in great deal to all five of them. Okay, so after the five-year waiting period... The bishop in the diocese where the person died can petition the Holy See to initialize the cause for beatification and canonization. If it Whoa. Is... Okay. Sorry. <laughs> A lot of words there. So okay. I'm with So bishop of the diocese where they die. Right. Okay. That I'm good with. And then petition, Holy See. So they, they basically ask. They ask Rome. They ask the Vatican. They yeah. ask, okay. Okay. They say to Rome, we we believe that this person should be a saint, and we would like to start this process. Okay, okay. so I'm, I'm about to say a few Latin words that I might get wrong, but we can, we can uh, figure out that. Okay, if it is declared nihil obstat, does that sound correct? Well, I think that's what, that's what, Neil Obstat means, right? You know, it's if, kind of an indication that it's correct. If that declares that nothing stands in the way, then on with the show. Okay. Okay. So they've got, okay. So the, sometimes books will have the stamp, the Neil Obstat. And that is essentially saying, okay, somebody in authority gave a, you know, there's nothing positive, there's nothing positively heretical wrong or here. wrong, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's not so much an endorsement of what's right. It's just saying there's nothing, you know, they weren't maybe for a saint. It's like they weren't an axe murderer or you know, they, they're the last act of Right, there's nothing life, nothing glaring. Yeah. There's not a glaring reason right now that this should not happen. Mhm. Okay, so the process has begun. Once a cause begins, we enter the servant of God phase. Okay, so they're called the servant of God. So it would be, for example, uh, servant of God, John Paul II. Uh, John Harden. Well, yeah, well, before. And currently, uh, John Harden, the incredible uh, Jesuit author, is a servant of God. Okay. John Harden, you say? Mm-hmm. 
Father John Harden. Okay, so he is current servant of God. A diocesan tribunal begins the informative process. Okay, they must gather testimony about the life and virtues of the servant of God. Public and private writings are collected and examined, and there is no set time period for this stage. It concludes with the judgment of the diocesan tribunal. Okay, so they gather a bunch of things. They gather their writings. They gather some documents of things this person did, and they, they look at it all, and they come to a judgment, the diocesan tribunal. The ultimate, oh, wow. the ultimate decision comes down to the bishop on whether or not there have been heroic virtues demonstrated. The results and documentation are communicated to the congregation for the cause of the saints. So that's the servant of God phase. Okay, so it sounds like after getting the thumbs up to start the servant of God phase, the action's kind of all happening in the diocese, in the kind of the location where the person lived and died. Right, so it's... Is that, okay. Yeah, so it's, here's what we've gathered, here's some reports of their life, here's their writing. So then the bishop will then decide if heroic virtues have been demonstrated. Which is, that, you know, that can sound kind of harsh, because you're like, well, if this person was good, of course they did heroic virtue. But again, you want to make sure, again, that nothing stands in the way. Right. I mean, you got to do your investigation. If you find out that they were, you know, secretly a paid infiltrator. Well, yeah, something. I right. mean, I don't know, you know. No, well, that's that's a good point cuz we uh, this this would be a good topic sometime about natural versus supernatural virtue of how mm-hmm. you know, things things that there are natural th- goods that are uh, you know, good to be repetitive. But sometimes heroic virtues have to be of a supernatural good. So they, you know, they have to be done for the sake of God. Because sometimes we can do things for the sake of ourselves, and those aren't necessarily heroic virtues, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure that this was a man or woman of God with good heroic virtue. The next part of this process, can we move on? Any more questions? I think we're good. So that's the servant of God process is where God. we find the late great Jesuit theologian, uh, Father John Harden is currently in that phase. He's currently there. The next phase is the congregation for the causes of the saints. So the documentation and information of this process is now given by the congregation to a relator, not a realtor, a relator. Okay. And so they have to be part of a network like Coldwell and Banker. Yeah. Um, West Side Rentals. Right. Okay. And when you say congregation for the causes, that basically means kind of the the appropriate sort of committee. Right. So yeah, this yeah the committee is the is basically the congregation. Okay. Okay. So. The task of this relator is to superintend this cause through the rest of the process. So they are, they're kind of the overseer slash one who moves this process along. I don't. I, it would be a uh, not a mediator, but a. Uh, I don't know. Is there a fancy financial term for someone who moves a process along? 
um, like a lobbyist. That's not really a financial term, but yeah, I guess well, I mean, not this kind one... of like your your caseworker, or you know, if you're basically this is sort of your. There you go. Case you kind of pick up this. Okay. Not not necessarily a lobbyist, because as we'll find out, lobbying is kind of a sticky wicket. But we'll find out. Uh, we'll we'll get to that. The relator works with the theological commission to make sure everything is prepared properly. So they're the real by the rules people. When the collection is finished, it must be voted on. The theological commission votes first. If it passes, then it is passed on to the cardinal, archbishop, and bishop members of the congregation who votes. So, like, the head of the committee. Right. Okay. This vote decides whether the process lives or dies. So this is a this is a major part. All these are obviously major, but this is... This is where it could could push forward or come to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. If they vote yes, it becomes a recommendation for a decree of heroic virtue and is sent to the Pope whose judgment is final. So this is the this is the next this is the last stop before Rome. Before the Vatican. Okay. So this is we we've now crossed from the congregation for the causes of saints to the venerable stage okay when the heroic virtues are recognized by the pope they become venerable do we have any do we have any examples of current venerables there are plenty but do you have any well the the one that comes to mind immediately is fulton sheen right yes um and people will also maybe think uh venerable BD, but he that's a sort of traditional title applied mm-hmm. that's not he's not still in the venerable phase so that's a he's on the calendar and so saint BD is referred to as venerable BD because he was very venerable um and then the uh the other one i'm thinking is uh, isn't uh, lewis of granada I think he's still venerable. So that's um, that's one that's coming to mind as far as a. Though I'm scanning this list of venerables and he's actually not on it, so. Um, dun dun dun. I take it back. Okay, the next stage is the miracle stage. This is the this is the big one. This is the one we all this is the one we all know about. Kind of is that they need miracles attributed to them. So before beatification, there must be an approval of a miracle attributed to the candidate. This has to show evidence of intercessory power. So that is basically saying there has to be proof that praying to this person and asking for them to intercede with God on your behalf yields results. They want they want the receipts. Right. Yeah. But even even more basic than that is. It's important because it establishes that this person is in heaven and achieved union after death with God, right? We well, have... I mean, yeah, it points to that, certainly. Well, I, but they, the only reason I say that is because if you get so caught up in this, you can completely gloss over the fact, oh, yes, this person needs to be in heaven. It seems, That's true. It seems so obvious, but it, 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 I mean, it really is the make or break piece. You can't. You can't 
you can start a process for someone who may, may be in hell, but it won't go through because it will fall at some right. point. Right. And I mean, if you were to ask for a miracle through that person, basically you wouldn't, that's kind of rough. You wouldn't get it because, you know, well, you, God, and, uh, he can't deceive or be deceived. And so it would be confirming a lie. You, oh, you, wow. Right. But even choose, if, choose wisely who you asked your miracles. Right. But e- even worse is if you ask for it enough, you may get a demon, Zach. <laughs> well, I, I mean, maybe I don't know. I, well, we should check on that. But yeah. <laughs> I guess that'd be a good way to bring the cause to an end. Everybody that prays to this person begins to levitate off the ground and their head spins around. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're freaked out. So, um, no, I mean, perhaps you'll, your request will be granted in a way that, that doesn't, uh, you know, that, that can't be deemed a miracle, right? You know, right. God could move natural causes. So sure. Sure. I mean, surely you won't be denied your intention, you know, just for picking a dud, a bad egg. <laughs> yeah. So the miracle is proposed where the miracle occurred, not in the diocese where the cause was opened unless they are the same. Okay. So okay, it, so so if, if you, I had a miracle attributed to Fulton Sheen, then it would be the Diocese of Dallas that would 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 handle that miracle, not New York Fulton Sheen or wherever. Yeah, wherever it was. And that's actually a sticky subject. So we we won't we won't give an opinion on. Oh right, I on forgot where, about that. So yeah, so where, so the cause is opened in Dallas. Okay, so for then, that miracle, right. So there, okay. there are then two tribunals, the scientific and the theological. The scientific commission must rule that the cure is without natural explanation. It must do so by accepted scientific criteria and must be well documented as to what the disease and treatments were, as well as the healing and the magnitude of the disease. Miracles can be of any type, but they are almost always proposed for causes of a medical nature. Okay. That was, I was wondering, cause you kept saying cure and I was like, wait a minute. So it's, it's just that it's frequently medical type miracles that it, the, it's sort of, we're talking about a cure, but if it were some other type of miracle that would also be looked at. To, I mean, there'd be a, the scientific piece and then the, theological piece right so i think what it comes down to basically is i i guess easier is not the word i want to use but it's a lot more miracly for the curing of a disease as opposed to praying asking fulton sheen's intercession to get a car Mm -hmm. well and our lord in scripture a lot of the miracles he did were obviously involving curing people of disease so you can see a, a clear theme there right The theological commission must rule that this miracle was by its nature something that can only be attributed to God. So, again, getting a car might just be a coincidence, not so much a miracle. It must also determine if the miracle resulted through the intercession of the candidate alone. Okay, so this is important. If a family was praying to the candidate alone, the case is demonstrated. But if they have been also praying to others the case becomes less clear and may not be demonstrated. This is kind of interesting because I guess the question becomes, well, if I'm asking for the intercession of Fulton Sheen, but I'm also praying to the Virgin Mary, does that 
mean I shouldn't pray to the say Hail Marys or I shouldn't do the rosary or I shouldn't do this for the for the miracle. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean that is a good question. I I mean I guess it it you know, it would be less clear where the intercession came from, but perhaps um I don't I feel like it's it's always a good thing to pray to the Virgin Mary. So you you shouldn't, for example, not do that and just fo- zone in on on asking, some venerable that you've picked, right? But I so I but this is what the this is what the process is determined. So it it's this is why it's a you know that's this is why there are these rules and this is why it's set up because I don't think the point is to get people to not pray to for the intercession, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a a chance to sort of um, let God speak and sort of okay, we're you know if, if God chooses to work a miracle for through the intercession of this saint right. then or this person, then that advances their their cause for sainthood. And you know, perhaps you have to think that there would be grace involved, and so not all the normal rules apply. So you know, perhaps by some grace, a person does you know intercede with this intention only to this venerable that they've chosen, um, you know, in order to bring about the miracle. And, you know, if, if they're doing other things or they picked a bad egg, you know, perhaps like I mentioned before, the God answers the prayer in a different way. Right. You know, not a supernatural miracle, but a, a natural cure. And I, I don't think that this commission is, uh, going to come by and say like well so so you were asking for Fulton Sheen's intercession that's good how many rosaries have you said in the past year oh you said a hundred oh that's uh sorry miracles are 25 rosaries or less that's right that's the (laughs) that's the the threshold we have so you know it's not one of those things but again you if it has to make sure that this is a miracle and not coincidence or just a load of bunk really right right okay so the theological commission has judged that it is a miracle and that it was due to the intercession of the candidate alone so now it is forwarded to the congregation in rome once the theological passes it is transmitted transmitted to the general meeting of the cardinals if they say yes it is forwarded to the supreme pontiff which is always a fun way of saying Pope. Yeah, it sounds very... Uh, um, it's like, if you... Is this... Formidable. Uh, I was going to say, is it wrong to say that it's like the Pope, but then you just add sour cream to him? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Bizarre, but... Because <laughs> you... Uh, the supreme things at Taco Bell are just the same, except they have sour cream on them. Oh, yes. All the toppings included. Yeah. I get it now. Anyway, in in cases of martyrdom, the miracle can be waived because martyrdom is a miracle of grace, and the Pope would then give a decree of martyrdom. So once the Pope approves of a decree of a miracle, the servant of God becomes beatified. Actually, it wouldn't be servant of God. It would be the venerable becomes beatified. Beatified, that's when they're a blessing. Uh, yeah, so when this rite takes place, the venerable servant of God is declared blessed. 
Okay, so it's been they die, they become servant of God, they become venerable, and now they've become blessed. Right, so it, basically you're called venerable servant of God, and then you're blessed, and then with this, the blessed may receive public veneration. Okay, so this is this is another interesting thing that I learned that I didn't know. So this is all kind of, we'll go through it, I'll read it all, and then we'll go through it, okay? Okay. They may receive public veneration, and it's usually restricted to dioceses associated with the person's life. This is also done by clergy in the name of the church, not necessarily public. Catholics are privately free to venerate blessed as well, but blessed is not an infallible act. So it is Okay, so, so what we're building to is that the final piece the final you know canonization now you're a saint right that's that's infallible Every, um, but, everything but, up into this up, piece is not okay so it's sort of guided by you know grace and the intentions of of the people involved but right. there's not that that surefire you know can't possibly fail guarantee that would come with infallibility up until this point. So you've got to sort of carry the process out in good faith. Right. So it's, that's why it's not yet appropriate for the church at large to give liturgical veneration to a blessed. Okay. So they can, mm. they can do it in the diocese, which makes sense because they're the ones that started this, that they started the process. So you want, you know, you, the diocese will want to make sure that this is correct. And they will also be asking for the intercession of this, this now blessed right so right you know that allows the process to move forward and it you know it's good for the life of the church to to have the saint from the local area sort of you know you kind of test the waters to see if, if they become a saint for the universal church right so because so pope benedict the 16th restored the process of having a prefect of the congregation conduct the beatification rather than having the pope do it himself Although Pope Benedict XVI did this for Pope St. John Paul II. So the reason that he restored that, of having a prefect of the congregation do it, is because, since it's not infallible, so you, I guess you don't want to have the Pope doing it, because if people see the Pope doing it, they'll just automatically assume that it's set in stone infallible when it may not be. Okay, so we're historically and then starting again with benedict that piece the beatification was done not by the pope but by someone from the congregation for the causes the the prefect yeah and the reason for that was so that people would understand you know this is not an infallible act being done by the pope i think is what i hear you saying just because it's so easy for people to be very broad in how they consider infallibility. Right. And, and especially so, it, it, not only Catholics, but non-Catholics. I, I mean, oh, non-Catholics, just you assume. see them on the TV. They're like, Oh, he sneezed. That's infallible. All of you have the cold now. It's, right. uh, it's crazy. <laughs> they do anything and like, Oh, and he's infallible. Isn't yeah. he? You're like, well, not in picking a March madness bracket. Like what are right. we, I'm pretty people. I'm pretty excited to talk about infallibility one of these days because it's very interesting and it kind of opens up the whole understanding of 
it not the whole church, but a big chunk of what, why the church does what it does. So mm-hmm. a diocese may petition the congregation for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments for the indult. That's the okay. <laughs> so what I'm hearing the the local diocese, so I could be like in Dallas, they could ask the uh, congregation for divine worship. So that's that's Cardinal Sarah's uh, congregation, by the way. So he's the current yeah. head. Um, I mean, with the the rate of turnover these days, yeah. By the time we publish, who knows? It could be I could be the new one. It, it's you know, but uh, currently that's been Cardinal Sarah. And so he, that's a different, and then an indult, so like kind of an exception. And, yeah, and the discipline of the sacraments for the indult. Okay, yeah, well that's, so the, I, the congregation, so that's the, the congregation for the, for divine worship and discipline of the sacraments. Basically that's sort of like the liturgy or the, the sort of what, you know, worship, that's, that's the congregation. And so he's asking that group, Cardinal Sarah, for the indult. Indult is, it is a noun. It is a license granted by the Pope authorizing an act that the common law of the church does not sanction. Okay. So this is saying like, currently we can't, the whole church isn't doing this, but your diocese can be allowed under an indult to, to, to have, Give public, or no, not public venerate, but yeah, to render you know, liturgical. Vener- yeah, render veneration to the blessed. Okay, and I think that there were dioceses that did this to be able to do sort of feast day of, of blessed JP two. I think. Yeah. So th- that's can be somewhat common. Okay, so without an indult, public veneration is illicit and may even harm the canonization process. If it inspires uh, disobedience, that's that's just a red flag, right? You know, and that makes perfect sense that you can't just have sketchy, you know, feast day, <laughs> sketchy feast days. You can't have these rogue calendars popping up. Yeah, right. So you, you, it, that is a good point. Of if it's diso, if it inspires disobedience, it's a red flag. So once we have that, you have the second miracle, which is the same. The same as the first. Second verse is the same as the first. And then the consent the consent of the Pope to the decision of the congregation results in the decree of a miracle, and canonization is now possible. Okay. So again, just going back, so they die, they become servant of God, they become venerable. There is a miracle attributed to them, they become blessed. Mm-hmm. There's a second miracle attributed to them, and once all of that is signed off, then canonization becomes possible. But at this point, even if all that's been done, they're still blessed, even if there's two uh, genuine miracles. Right. So that means up until this point, nothing, nothing infallible has happened. Um, you know, nothing set in stone, but assuming that this sort of theoretical example we're following proceeds to canonization, uh, what happens next? So the canonization is the infallible act, right? Mm-hmm. So basically this is when all the 
the saintly perks come in of getting a feast day. They can be added. If the saint has a universal appeal, he or she can be added to the general calendar of the church as a memorial or an optional memorial. And also, if the saint has some appeal to a localized region in the world or a particular nation or even a particular religious institute, the saint may be added to the calendar of those nations or institutes and celebrated by the clergy and the faithful. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, this means what, like this, what does this mean? They have, could have specific readings kind of geared towards those masses. And yeah, I mean, they, they pick out, you know, passages that work and that becomes that, that day's mass readings are in the, in the priests, the priestly prayers throughout the day, the divine office, they could have, you know, prayers that are just specific Psalms and things that get right. called out for that feast day. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's it. They, whenever, so that, like, like we said that that is the infallible act. So if it, if it seems like a Pope is not doing anything that has been labeled infallible, if they canonize a saint, then they have done something infallible. Right. And what that means, the infallible part there, is that um, it basically, it is the infallible part is this, that the person died in the state of grace right. and that they they now have the beatific vision. So they, they are now in heaven. And what establishes that is actually the, the sort of declaration that the Pope makes. And so that part I have in front of me, and I thought I'd just read it real quick. Yeah. Um, so he said, this is sort of a translation from the Latin in honor of the Holy Trinity for the exaltation of the Catholic faith and the increase of the Christian life with the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ of the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, and of our own after long reflection, having invoked divine assistance many times and listened to the opinion of many of our brothers in the Episcopate, we declare and define as saint, uh, we de- declare and define as saint blessed, insert name here, and ascribe his or her name in the list of saints and establish that throughout the church they may be devoutly honored among the saints. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's your statement that's got your notes. You know, the Pope, he uses his full authority to speak on behalf of the church yeah. um, because it's a matter of, uh, you know, worship. It, it, it falls into being a matter of faith, and that's, that's the part, but it... The key is, is that that those are the two things that that establishes. Died in the state of grace, um, are now you know they're now in heaven. Right. It doesn't mean that every every detail of their existence was perfect, start to finish. Obviously, we have saints that were just monsters before they became saints, like sure. um, Saint Augustine before his conversion. Right. Um. And or, or Paul before when he was Saul. Right. What is that? Feast day today. They, or, well, yeah, that's the conversion of Paul is a feast day on the calendar. I mean, he was, a you know, he was a murderer yeah. and, you know, just chopping off heads. So, right. It's about, um, it's about what they achieved, not, not their entire history of their life. Right. Now the, the steps before leading up to that though, are 
perhaps, you know, that's what sort of helps you get people that, that are, you know, the ones to hold their life out as an example for everyone else. And it provides sort of the path that we, you know, I've, I've referred to saints as being kind of the yellow brick road, you know, just follow the yellow brick road, right? do what the saints did to get what the saints got. Right. And that, you know, the, do what they did, the, the good stuff, not the, it's not an excuse to do everything they did. Right. Well, you know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. Right. Well, you can flip that and say, well, wouldn't it be um, in, insane then to think I'm not going to do what the same, you know, I'm not going to do the same thing even though I want the same results. Right. Right. And it settles a lot of, um, I think it, it really sort of settles a lot of arguments over, you know, practice and things to mm-hmm. say, well, well, what, what are some of the saints that, that did this? You know, we've had 2000 years of saints, you know, it, whatever the practice is, who are the saints that, that this was how they got to heaven? Um, whether it's a certain type of prayer or, you know, a certain approach to, to a devotion or, or morality or anything, you know, say, okay, show me the receipts, point me in the direction of the saint that got to heaven doing that. Yeah. And that can really help settle a lot of, of, you know, sort of, strange debates that you see about different topics is until, you know, the, I'm, you know, I don't want to be risky on this. I'm, I, you know, I want to know that somebody's made it to heaven who, who can testify to this. That's at least my approach. Mm -hmm. There we have. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully understanding this process can help people sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess, um, get into it. You know, if, if you have a venerable and, and you've, you've prayed to our lady, you, you prayed to our Lord and, and you've discerned that maybe it's the right time, then, you know, start, start asking that venerable for, for a miracle, yeah. um, or, you know, or, or spreading devotion to that person, because really that's what, that's what sort of helps the, the cream rise when it comes to these, um, these excellent saints. Imagine spending some time trying to help this this venerable become a saint and then making it to heaven and getting to celebrate with that saint. Hey, there you go. I, oh, I, that's an important thing, too, um, to consider. Um, and, you know, I had this in my notes, was that when the person is declared a saint or as any of these steps that we talked about happened, Nothing happens to the person. So they're not sitting there waiting for their number to be called. And then when the Pope canonizes them, they pop into heaven. <laughs> right. You know, um, because infallibility doesn't ever work that way. So nothing becomes true that was false before. Right. So the, the idea there is that they were already in heaven, but now we have that assurance and we can, you know, number them among. It's, it's an established establishment of the truth basically affirming up of the truth i guess right right and you know whether you are whether somebody's canonized or not sainthood you know generally speaking means being uh, you know having the beatific vision being with god for all eternity so that's what we're all striving for 
obviously we're not striving for canonization for ourselves and you know that doesn't really jive with humility and plus right that would be once you're dead who cares yeah that wouldn't be a supernatural act to shoot yourself for canonization yeah to be you know i mean basically yeah try to do you know everything all that matters is is getting to heaven um which which means not only does how much money you make not matter in the long run any of that but also how far you make it you know i mean just get to heaven and and god will handle the rest yeah i mean you know it's it's i i guess i can't think of anybody who you can point to and be like oh they're just this you know living campaign for canonized sainthood but everything we do should be chasing after sainthood generally speaking i have a couple saints facts for you right okay oh here we go the I think the youngest saint that I could find was Saint Maria Goretti was 11 years old when she died. Okay, youngest kind of youngest canonized saint. Right. The the last year this is not this is not include 2018, but the last year that there was not a canonization was in 1994, which was the same year as the baseball strike, so I think the pope, I think John Paul II so since baseball wasn't going to do any work, he wasn't going to canonize any saints. That's I haven't confirmed. I haven't confirmed that, but I think that's the reason. Well, yeah, and he was probably you know focused on uh, all the buildup to the release of the Little Rascals in 1994. Oh, let's, yes. let's be honest about what what you know the world had its joy uh, elsewhere. That's it, true. No, just... no, no saints were canonized, but we got to lay our eyes on some saints of the big screen. Anyway. Yeah, mainly the dog and the monkey, but um, yeah. and some of the people. Hey, so the first saint to be canonized by a pope was actually Saint Ulrich of Augsburg, and the last saint to not be canonized by a pope was Walter of Pontus. Pontus. Oh, Walter. Oh, Walter. So, I know what you're thinking, Zach. Wait. Not all saints were canonized by the Pope. Were you thinking that? Uh, that, that is, well, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So w- w- explain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, at one point, and I know you said that in jest because you actually might know a little bit more about it than I do, but so it, the canonization by popes really only started around year 1000 mm-hmm. because St. Ulrich of Augsburg was canonized in on February 3rd, 993. So that before that, this, this led to basically his canonization led to this formal process that we, that we have today. Now it, it, it wasn't like going around any old priest could just claim that someone was a saint. It still it still had to be done through the approval of a bishop, and there was still a uh, you know a process to it. But right, and I mean you can find writings all the way back to like two fifty eight mm-hmm. about how much diligence had to be observed uh, in investigating claims of of sanctity before 
deciding to venerate primarily martyrs uh, during that time. But the fact that it was just martyrs being made saints, um, it also speaks to the fact that if you were a well-known Christian during those time periods, you were probably going to be martyred. So, um, right. yeah, I mean, it was never like Lucy goosey, you know, you know, a bunch kumbaya, a bunch of people like the, the statue thing. Like it was never that a statue gathered and then however many candles were lit outside of it eventually tipped them into being a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, the church was smaller and at the time and it, it wasn't, as formalized and it didn't have, you know, the, the close involvement of, of the pontiff of the, the Supreme pontiff. Yeah. So it, it, like you said, it had to do with most everyone was being martyred in that day. If I'm reading this correctly, it would be the remains of the martyr would be taken from their place of burial and just placed in the church. So given like primary status, Right, because in every altar is the um, a first class relic of a of a martyr. Right, if it's a, properly speaking an, an altar, um, so that grew, and then you kind of have the development there where they began to um, recognize kind of confessors or priests, you know, people who were publicly um, Catholic, right. as. And if, Saints, it, it grows out from there to where now, of course, there's many different um, categories, if you will. Yeah. So they, and I think it, you 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 told you said at one point, and we were kind of talking about this episode that any change kind of comes around heresy or comes around something they kind of want to stamp out. So right, yeah. So the saints are powerful witnesses, and so if somebody wanted to spread heresy um what they could do is co-opt you know say you know propose their own saying here's some dead heretic yeah. and you know they're a saint and let's form a cultus around them and and all that and so that a lot of times forces the church's hand on on centralizing certain things because you know being a mother of the church doesn't want these wolves you know these heretics um preying on her children right. and so that sometimes means you know w- the more authority that's required it's normally because um one of one of the church's enemies has um has has tried to gain ground and so the church um through the authority that god gives it sort of escalates that function um in order to you know in order for the salvation of the faithful sure i think like the donatist heresy was um, a big one that, that encouraged a much more uh, thorough process, at least at the diocesan level. Yeah. And then you can kind of see as these different uh, heresies will pop up. I mean, other processes too, sort of gradually becoming more centralized. And of course, you know, over time, the ability to spread the word about things, you know, just increases. And so, it becomes important. It kind of has to mirror the world. So if, if the world is able to interact on such a large scale, then the church's process will sort of mirror that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if there was no communication and you had to send a letter that took eight weeks to get, you know, across the world, then there probably wouldn't be, uh, so much, you know, I mean, it's got to mirror the actual, um, situation on the ground of the world as far as church strategies. So, yeah, we, and, 
we see the process unfold over hundreds of years. Right, and previously, if a a rogue diocese or a rogue bishop wanted to do something like that, and it he, it made its way back to Rome, it would be stomped out too. So it's not like the Pope had no say or had no authority in this process before. Right, right. And, you know, like doing it this way means at least, okay, we don't have to go rip pages out of missiles and, yeah. and melt statues or anything. <laughs> um, we can just wait until it's good to go. But the other thing, too, is that, like, the, the infallibility, like we said, it applies to two things. Died in the state of grace, currently has the beatific vision. And so, you know, that could apply to somebody who, you know, let's say for all outward earthly purposes was, you know, just kind of meh. Yeah. But they maybe get canonized because, um, you know, the process could have a political aspect to it. Right. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that the the existing steps are there, you know, so that, that God has a chance to weigh in with a miracle. The miracle kind of helps test, you know, well, you know, yes, the person's in heaven, but, you know, does God think it's a good idea to canonize them? And, the, you know, again, because it's not that's not an infallible part, the miracle part, you know, you don't, you, you know, you never have this 100% certainty, but it's kind of letting divine providence maybe speak for itself a little bit. Yeah. So we've got a sort of special edition saint of the week. Nice. Someone who's not a saint, in fact. <laughs> um, we actually have a, a blessed that we're going to mention. So uh, Blessed Charles of Austria, also called Blessed Carl of Austria, due to the uh, linguistic situation, um, is our our blessed that we've picked up. Um, like we said, he's made it up to the, the beatification. He was beatified by um, Pope St. John Paul II. And so all he lacks is uh, a miracle and, and canonization. So his cause for canonization um, is something that we support, and we've kind of picked him as our blessed who we, he's our man for uh, canonization. So it was a tough, a tough pool of incredible blesseds. <laughs> we, we thank we you for all your, uh, yeah, your applications. We can't fail to mention Blessed Pius IX or Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich or these just incredible ones, but, but Blessed Charles really rose to the top, so Real quickly, and we'll talk more about him because you know, unless he gets canonized before the next podcast, we can we'll, we can give updates. But yeah. uh, Charles was born in 1887. Um, he became he was married to uh, Zita, the uh, Empress Zita, because Charles became the Emperor of of Austria and the King of Hungary because those were the same position at the time. Um, he he and his wife had eight children, and he he carried out all of his duties as emperor, um, you know, after prayer and reflection and, and trying to observe the will of God. Now, he was eventually forced out by the revolutionary assemblies that formed that sort of um, created the, the republic that that was made up of, of Austria and Germany. So, but he, because he understood that his position had been, you know, he'd been called to that position by God, he never actually abdicated uh, he would have gotten a sort of severance package if he had, but he didn't do it. So he had to live out basically in poverty. Um, so him and his children, they they lived just in complete poverty, and he actually died um, of illness on an April 1st, 1922nd. So uh, that's sort of an overview of his life. 
and um, the cause for his canonization has been around for quite some time because of the just the sanctity that he had and the way that he conducted his duties and the way that he took his life as he's, you know, he's a layman, he's in a secular field being the, the emperor of Austria, mm-hmm. but he, he conducted, you know, everything relying on, on his faith. And he, he integrated, um, you know, his work, you know, his, his earthly duties with, um, with the sacred. And then obviously just an incredible example of, um, you know, a father and a husband. And so we'll talk more about him over time, but we're, we're kind of announcing our official support for his canonization and our, our sort of official endorsement of the, um, the Emperor Carl League of Prayer. So we'll post a link to that. There's uh, different prayers that you could say to join the Emperor Carl League of Prayer. And um, uh, I've ordered a batch of third class relics to be sent to me. So we may, uh, we may send those out to some, Viewers at some point, or maybe guests of the podcast, will get a third-class relic of Emperor Carl. But nice. um, he—he's our—he's our our blessed who we're we're standing behind for canonization, uh, if it be the will of God. So yeah, that's Emperor Charles of Austria, blessed Emperor Charles of Austria to you. <laughs> that would be amazing. I also quickly we had a question from listener Mike Baker. In Phoenix, also known as Dad. Those days, I was like, well, it's got your initial. Okay. He asked how a saint gets the title of the Great. So, you know, St. Anthony the Great, etc., etc. I couldn't find an answer to that. I think it's just kind of a thing that people call the saint if they want, or if there's multiple saints of that name. Because I know that some refer to Saint pope john paul is john paul the great so this is me answering the question by saying i don't really know i think it's just kind of a title that is given to beloved saints well there we go do you have anything do you know anything about that yeah because i mean there clearly hasn't been any well i mean there hasn't been any official you know i can't think of how you know gregory the great i don't know of anything that made him officially the great and then Certainly, so soon after, there hasn't been any type of like, you know, groundswell. I, I mean, the, the John Paul the Great thing—you you do hear that and stuff—but I, I haven't seen that, you know, widespread. You know, it's not like in common usage or anything. Right. So yeah, it, if we if we find an answer, we will say it. But that I couldn't really find anything. Huh. So I I don't know if that's a fail or a. Good, good effort. Great job. Great effort. But did you anyway. try Bing or did you just Google it? <laughs> yeah, I asked Jeeves. Forgot about old Jeeves. Yeah, you got to ask him. Anyway, that's a uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up? I don't think so. Jeeves is dead though, so if he's uh, if he's servant of God, Jeeves, I'll be I'll be shocked. <laughs> but we'll see. Oh, that'd be amazing. All right, gang. Thanks for listening. This was I enjoyed this one. I hope that the listeners enjoy it, and we'll come with another action-packed episode next week. Sounds good to me. We'll see you next time.